Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and achieve more in the world of talent development. And, you know, we've been running this podcast now for almost five years. We started it in 2018, and we've had over 300 episodes. I believe this is episode 339. And I've interviewed a lot of really great people over the years, wide variety, very few repeat guests. But today I do have a repeat guest for you. And it's with good reason. It's someone who I met and had on the podcast many years ago and have built a great friendship with. And I was excited to get him back on as he has been developing a really great new framework and thought leadership around this idea of compassionate leadership and self compassion. My guest today is Massimo Bacchus, who is an executive coach, a speaker, an author of an upcoming book on compassionate leadership. And Massimo is in a unique and great position in that he has spent several years as a practitioner, learning and development practitioner within multiple companies. And most recently, he left the employee world to go out and run his own business as a leadership development coach and facilitator, which I think he's been doing for about two years now, very successfully. I've seen what he has built, and I've just been very impressed and blown away. And of course, over that time, Mosmo has become a very good friend. We talk regularly about things that we're working on. He has been on the podcast in the past. He spoke at our Talent Development Think Tank retreat back in January of 2022 on this topic of compassionate leadership. And I think people were really loved it. And I was excited to get him on here to share more. In this episode, we don't go too much into Masabo's background. If you want to hear about some of the previous work he's done, go back and check out episode 70 
7-0 with Massimo Bacchus that came out on February 26, 2019. So it's been about three and a half years. At that time, he was working in people development and leadership development at Slalom Consulting out of Seattle. And as I said, now he's been out on his own working with lots of different executives and companies on coaching and leadership development. And he has really developed an interesting framework around this idea of compassionate leadership, which I was excited to bring to you. Massimo is also a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community, and he's been a valuable member since we started the community two and a half years ago. And I know we're going to have him do more sessions in the Think Tank community in the future to talk about this idea of self-compassion and compassionate leadership. For now, I'm excited for you to learn from him. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Massimo Bacchus on compassionate leadership. Massimo, welcome to the show. Great to see you, Andy, as always. So good to see you. Always enjoy our conversations. And I have to say, I believe, I believe this will be your third time on this podcast, which might make you the reigning champion. I don't know that anyone else has been on the show that many times. We might have a couple other people that have been on twice. This is your third time. So that either means that you are really great or I've just run out of people to talk to. <laughs> or you really like talking to me. You know, I think about uh, on Saturday Night Live, there's the Five Timers Club and you get, you know, a green jacket. Yeah. You've yeah. seen that skit. Yeah. But I'm working my way up to the Five Timers I, Club. I think you're you're on your way there, but we'll see how today goes. So <laughs> today we are talking about compassionate leadership. And by the way, for those listening, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes I've done with Massimo, we talked a long time back when you were in corporate L&D about using fear and vulnerability to build connections and you know leadership development, use that for leadership development, things like that. Last time you were on, we actually flipped the, the script or the sides and you interviewed me about my book when I published it. And I know you've been working on a book and as you've been building your business and coaching and speaking with lots of different executives, building out this book and framework on compassionate leadership. And I got a little preview of that when we had our retreat back in January, the Talent Development Think Tank retreat, and people loved it. And so I wanted to dig into that a little bit. So why don't we just start right at the top? Like, What is compassionate leadership? What is this all about? I think for a very long time, there has been a premise that leaders need to eat last, that leaders need to be in service of others in all cases. And I do not disagree with that. I think that's true. But there's a limitation to that if we are not coming in whole and well and healthy ourselves as leaders. If we're coming from a place of deficiency or scarcity, it gets in the way of our ability to truly be in service. In fact, we can even lose sight of what are we in service of? Like, what is our actual purpose in the role of a leader? And that's where this concept of compassion and specifically self-compassion comes in as a framework to help us understand that we are also humans, not just leaders and in service of other people, but we also have hopes and dreams and fears and feedback can be, you know, ingratiating and feel good. And it can also be destructive and hurtful depending on how it's received and how we take it. And so an understanding that uh, as a leader, we are also human and that there are practices that can help us bring forth our humanity, provides a greater sense of resilience, commitment, understanding, connection, curiosity, and build stronger relationships and trust with others because we are coming to them authentically and we're not guarded by whatever masks or armor we have built over our careers mm. to protect against the fact that we're not perfect and that we are perfectly infallible because that is a part of the human condition. Yeah, absolutely. We are. And I think, you know, I've worked a lot in leadership development as well. 
And I've used to run workshops for leaders all the time. And, and one of the biggest challenges I would see or maybe problems for leaders is this sort of pressure where they feel like I need to have all the answers. I need to know everything. And then I can tell my people what to do, right? But I, first and foremost, I have to be the expert and I need to have it all figured out. And I certainly, like, if I'm having problems, I'm not going to share that because they're looking to me to be perfect. And then you talk to, you know, sort of everyday people who work in the corporate space and they're like, no, I don't expect, not everybody says this, right? But I don't expect my leader to be perfect. I want them to be human and, and I want to be able to connect on a human level. So it almost seems like a disconnect there. We are achieve success, and, and, and what I mean by success is we achieve uh, roles of greater responsibility and title through our expertise and the execution of that. And then you reach a point where you have a large enough team and the work that you do isn't facilitated by your output, but by the output of others. And that requires you to let go of the need to get validation from your expertise, but to actually step in and lead and allow those other people to develop and execute on their expertise. And you have to let your guard down when you do that. You have to admit that you might not know things or people might do things differently the way that you would have done them, but the outcome could be the same, if not better, if you allow that to happen. And I was working with a client recently who, tremendous sales executive and has had a prolific career and has valued his contributions on his expertise. And what he said to me is, I've been asked to be more empathetic. I can be very directive as a leader. I can micromanage. I want to make sure that everything is perfect because perfection is the bar that I set for myself and for my organization. And he was worried that if he became more empathetic, that he would lose his edge, that somehow empathy would take away from his credibility and his competence. And the lack of empathy is what was actually getting in the way of people benefiting from his credibility and his competence. Mm. And it becomes this myth that we have that we need to hold on to control or perfection. And that is going to lead us to success. The problem is early in our careers, we are taught that. And so at a point in time, as, as leaders take on more responsibility, having to let go of what has served them well for so long in their careers can be very daunting. And the principles of self-compassion have three main components that help us address what that is, because it's a shared experience. And as you get higher up in an organization, specifically for executives and CEOs, it can be very isolating. There are a few people you can go to, to say, I don't have the answer to this question, or I'm not sure how to solve this, or this happens to be difficult for me. And the three components of self-compassion are around common humanity. So the first piece is to recognize that we're not alone, that while people in my organization or people in my sphere may not be having the exact same challenge that I'm having, people have had the same challenge. Yes. Other people have suffered with these types of situations. The second piece is around mindful awareness. So having a moment by moment acknowledgement of what it is that I am experiencing. How am I feeling? How am I thinking in this moment? And being aware of that without judgment. And that lack of judgment allows us to be curious, not to say, why is this happening to me? But to ask a much more powerful question, which is, what does this have to teach me? What is my responsibility in this? What are my best next steps? And then the third piece is around self-kindness, which I think for many of us, we struggle with this the most. What do you want me to be kind to myself and just take the day off because I'm having a hard time? And it's not about giving yourself a pass, but it's recognizing that we're all human and we suffer. And when we suffer, there are things that we would do for others if they were suffering. We would share kind words with them. We would offer them a break. We would ask them what they need. And yet when we suffer as leaders, we don't do that. 
we just kind of buckle down and work harder or try and get distracted with something else. And what I'm proposing is that in those moments, it's helpful to actually check in and say, what do I need in this moment to be kind to myself so that I can get back into a place of resilience and abundance and make the right steps forward? Ooh, there's so much there that I, I'm looking forward to, to getting into. One of the things you talked about is another very common challenge that I think all of us in the talent development world are very familiar with, which is, I think, probably the biggest challenge in leadership, which is the person who executes well as an individual contributor, right? Excels as a salesperson or a software developer. And then leadership says, well, you've done such a great job. We're going to make you a manager, right? And now you are managing people and probably still have, you know, a quota or, you know, some type of role that you need to play. But as you continue to move up, let's say you do fairly well in that and you move up again, now you are more of an orchestrator, you are a manager, you are a leader, and you kind of need to let go of some of those, the execution habits and role that you needed to play because you you need to more uh, oversee. And my core belief about leadership is that it is about enabling and empowering your people to succeed, right? Whatever that means, succeed in their role as well as succeed in their career. And it involves putting your ego aside, right? And and putting them first, but there are major benefits as I know you've seen, because you work with a lot of executives, a lot of leaders, right? That if they can get to that point where they're focused on delegating and coaching and helping their people, then there's not as much work for them to do, right? It's not as much pressure, but you have to get away from being a micromanager and get out of that execution mode, which to be fair, that's how you got to where you are, right? But now it requires a completely different skill set. And so before we even get into, I want to drill into some of the compassion stuff you talked about. What do you say to leaders that have gotten into that position to help them make that sort of that mindset shift in how they operate? So the first thing I'd say is there, there are two competing forces that exist when this happens. One is the person that let's just take a sales leader that has been lauded for hitting their targets, exceeding their targets, and has been a tremendous individual contributor, has received validation and affirmation from the organization throughout their career for doing a certain set of things. So they're hardwired to get that dopamine hit from doing these certain things. It feels good. And in most cases, their identity is tied up with it, that I'm the rainmaker. I'm exceptional at this. People have told me that. Then you take on the responsibility of people management, which I fundamentally believe is the hardest role in any organization, hmm. because now you're dealing with the complexity of not just one individual, but many individuals that have their own identities, their pay, their contribution, their value, all on the line in service of hopefully some greater outcome and purpose for the organization, but everybody else has their own kind of swim lane within that. How do I tie into that purpose? What role do I play? And most people are not equipped to be a manager. There's lots of manager training programs out there and, and they're quite good. And they talk about, you know, the basics, but management is not learned in a classroom. Management is something that comes naturally to some people. And for others, it's quite difficult, but it is learned through trial by fire. It's through experience, it's through having the conversations and building the relationships and figuring out what works for your style and for your team and the goals of the organization. So when you think about those two competing forces, it's like a force field analysis. The benefits of not changing are my identity is tied up with who I've been and what I've done. And then there's the forces for change, but it's something that I don't know how to do. So you're asking me to not only leave something that I've identified and, and created success from, 
but now step into a space that is ambiguous at times. It's very challenging. It's murky. And you're dealing with the overt things like what are the priorities and goals for each person on your team? But you're also talking about the things that are beneath the waterline, like their beliefs, their values, their motivators. And for each person, that's different. So it creates an inherent complexity when you're moving from one side of the equation to the other. And there's a chasm in between that is terrifying. And it requires any of us to go through stepping into the beginner's mindset and say, I don't know what I don't know here. Mm. And I'm going to have to learn. And just because I'm learning these new things does not negate the successes or expertise that I've had before. But leaning on my past successes will not lead to my future successes as a manager. Right. Yeah. What got you here won't get you there, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Like you got to learn new skills. The other interesting part of it too, is if you look at say your ability to be successful in a certain function or role as almost a combination of your skills and your passion or your hard work, right? And what if that person can learn how to become a good manager, but frankly, they just don't like it, right? They'd rather be an individual contributor. I was listening to a great podcast about this recently. And I feel like nobody stops to really ask the person, is this something you really want? And why do you want it? Do you want it because of the title, the recognition, the money, right? Because oftentimes in organizations, the only way to move up and make more money is by is through the management path. I think you and I are probably seeing, we both work a lot in tech and software. I think we're starting to see a lot of tech companies that are developing sort of an expert or individual contributor track. We're seeing that with professional services as well, where you can sort of be recognized and make more money without having to manage people. But in, I would say probably 90% of organizations around the world, that's the only way. So are you doing it simply because of that or because you truly want to develop this skill of managing people? And then are there alternatives if it's the former and you really would rather be you know, sitting there in front of a computer screen like, what else can we do? I feel like that's not part of the conversation enough yet. It's not. And you're right. Organizations are moving in that direction. Those roles of expert individual contributors or, or principals, they need to be seen as as much of valued leaders within the organization as somebody who oversees a large function. And until there's equity across the board there, there's still going to be a bias towards well, if I really want to move up the ranks in this organization, then I need to become a manager and I need to get a bigger team. And the problem is that we bring people into that role that shouldn't be there mm-hmm. and don't really want to be there, but they don't see another avenue, as you said. And so they they select into it. I think that was true for me earlier in my career, Andy, 100%. Yeah. And as much as in my heart, maybe I knew I didn't want it, I didn't really see any other way. So you just you let your bias take over and you just kind of self-select into something that's not actually a good fit. Mm -hmm. The organizations that are able to create space and say, these people provide just as much value to the organization, although it's different, that's a a culture shift. You know, to use a metaphor, if you think about funding in a school, the the school is asking for people to, to give money to the school, to the community every year. There are families in that school community that can give a lot and there are families that can give a lot less. Does it mean the families that give less have less to contribute overall? Mm. No, they might be able to contribute in different ways through volunteering or for bringing other um, perspectives to the organization or or to the community. But we need to find a way to create equity across these groups for people to see that they do have other avenues. And until that's created, there's still going to be a bias to stepping into these 
positions of greater power, having a seat at the table. And it's going to continue to bring in the people that are ultimately not best suited to be there for themselves and for the business. Yeah. You reminded me, I think early in my career, I had the opposite problem. I felt like I would be a good manager. And I think that I am a very, a very good manager. I love that people aspect. I enjoy delegating. I'm not a micromanager. I like, you know, talking to people and finding out, unlocking their strengths and superpowers. I was just never a very good executor. So I couldn't get to the level. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't get to the point where they were like, oh, you're so good at doing the thing. We're going to change it up and make you a manager. I just needed to be on some like, you know, manager development path or program. But alas, I had to go forge my own way to get to where I am today, which uh, worked out perfectly fine for me. I want to get to the these principles of self-compassion. And I'm glad you brought that up. I know self-compassion is like the foundation of compassionate leadership. You mentioned this idea of common humanity. This is something that I am, I guess, passionate about. I don't know. Like I, I, I want to beat the drum about to, to kind of spread the word about this, this idea that we're not alone. And you mentioned other people have faced similar challenges. And it, it sounds obvious, but I think I posit that most of the time when people go through challenges, they feel like I'm doing this on my own. No one understands what I'm going through. So I need to figure this out on my own. And what I've experienced and observed is that it doesn't matter what you're going through. Someone has had that challenge before. There are very few new challenges out there unless you are NASA launching a new rocket. And even many of those rockets have been launched, right? I mean, you're trying to go to Mars, you're Elon Musk, like most challenges people have been through. Like when I went through cancer, I researched and read books by people that have done this work and been through it before, right? When you and I were building our business, we went out and talked to people who have done that before, right? And, and most of the time, there have been people that have gone through hard times or through challenges before. We just don't want to believe it sometimes and feel like, oh, I've got to just figure all this out on my own. And it's such a, it's such a burden for most people. For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. It's such a burden. First step is acknowledging that you're not alone in this. Mm. And once you do that, then you can start to seek out, well, who else might have experienced this before? But if you can't accept what it is that you're going through, then you couldn't even go to another person and say, hey, I'm going through this. Have you been through something similar? Mm. Or try to identify where you might talk to those people. That isolation is a, why is this happening to me? As opposed to, this is something that's happening for me. Who else may have been through this? And I know you, Andy, and, and your journey with cancer have so eloquently you know, shared your story of what that meant for you to have that mindset shift. But no, we are not alone in this. And the other thing is, you might be going through something that no one around you has been through. Maybe it's a you have an illness and it's very unique and very few people have it. But there are other people that have been through illness. 
So when we think about this concept of empathy, it's not that I've had the exact same emotional trigger, the same emotion as you, sadness or fear, but I have had sadness and fear. I know what those emotions are and I can connect on that level. Mm -hmm. And people want to be compassionate towards one another. It feels good to be of service, to know that I can be there and I can empathize and I can also help take action to alleviate another person's suffering, to help mm-hmm. them suffer. Yeah. Same is true for ourselves, but we, we neglect that. We go, oh, I'm, I'm suffering, but it, I don't want to make it about me. And so we deflect it on something else. Mm-hmm. But we can acknowledge like I'm suffering in this and it doesn't make me a failure or a bad person or less than, it makes me human. Yeah. What other humans have also experienced this as well. Yeah. And when I think about this in the context of organizations, making difficult decisions, hard performance conversations, feedback, having to let people go, making mistakes in, in, in front of a large audience. People have done this before. They've been there and they've learned from it and they've gotten stronger as a result of it. And it's when we can be transparent with what it is that we're going through that other people can empathize. But if we can't be transparent and share what's going on for us for fear of judgment, then other people can't reciprocate with empathy and compassion. Mm, I agree. I think the, the question that a lot of people might be asking or wondering is, how do we do this? So you and I, I think, have you know have a lot of experience here, have developed this ability or sort of, I don't know, tenacity is the right word, to, to go reach out and ask people for help. I've, I've found the the benefit of vulnerability, um, but it's really hard, right? And you're facing a challenge and you, you feel a little embarrassed that you can't figure it out yourself. You know, you mentioned health challenge, but let's go to professional. Like, I don't really know how to manage my people or I'm having a hard time managing my time and I'm getting really stressed out. You know, I'm having a relationship issue, right? And it, it's, it's, it's bleeding into work, right? How do I manage these things? It can feel embarrassing or scary to bring that up with other people. How do you find the right people to talk to and also the courage to be vulnerable? If you put yourself in the position of being the recipient of somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I I realize that my inability to manage my time is causing me stress. Would you meet that with judgment and and criticize that person? Or would you say, hey, thanks for coming to me. I I have some thoughts on that. Or I'm also not great at it, but I know who is. Or I used to not be great at it and I read this book and it helped me. Yeah. So this goes back to this idea of common humanity. When we're isolated, we forget that other people want to help us. We assume the worst judgment in others. Mm -hmm. We create these stories in our mind of the worst possible outcome. Yes. And more often than not, if you go and say, I've been reflecting on this and I realize this is something that I'm struggling with. I'd like some help. Mm -hmm. People will be open to that. Yeah. True. That's, That's so the, true. The first thing that I would say is to to check our assumptions around do we know that people are going to respond this way or is this a story that we've crafted? Yeah. And the other thing is look for the people that are good at the things that you're not. And maybe you don't even have to go out and divulge how much it's hurting you or how much you're struggling with it, mm-hmm. but ask them, how did you get really good with time management? What practices do you do? What books did you read? Who did you learn this from? Mm. What do you have for me? It's something I'm looking to get better at. Yeah. Vulnerability doesn't need to be and shouldn't be oversharing, but it should be about the transparency of here's what's going on with me so that we can have an open conversation around how you might be able to tell me and vice versa. Yeah. So true. 
I, I know you and I've had plenty of conversations where we've asked each other questions and supported each other. I remember you asked me about time management and and I was like, Moss, it's pretty easy. I just don't work as much as you. <laughs> That's how I'm, I'm, you know, not as stressed. Yeah, I'm still working on that one. That's the easy answer, right? Just work less. There's trade-offs to everything we do. We could have a whole episode about how we manage our time, what we do with it, and, and trade-offs. I, I freaking love oh, that. But... That's part of the five the five timers club. Ooh, that's right. Five timers. Okay. That's the next one. All right. But I want to, I want to stay on the principles of self-compassion, principles of self-compassion. You talked about mindful awareness, being aware without judgment and sort of asking this question, what does this have to teach me? And I think that relates nicely to what we were just talking about, right? Is can you observe things that are going on and acknowledge that, yeah, I am struggling with this. Instead of beating yourself up, which so many people are off to do, right? Asking, well, what is the solution to this? Who can help me with this? How can I overcome this? Who else has overcome this before? You know, how do you talk to people about this? Like, how do you help people with this idea of being aware and eliminating judgment, which is so, so hard for people, not only judging themselves, but judging others as well? I would imagine that people are very familiar with the notion of having feelings about our feelings. Mm. You know, I've been feeling frustrated about this and now I'm getting angry. The, the anger is based on my, my ongoing feeling of frustration. Yeah. That happens when we are not allowing ourselves to be non-judgmental about our emotions. So the fact is, as humans, we have emotions. Mm. Countless emotions throughout the day. Most of the time, over 80%, we are not aware of what those emotions are. They're just automatic. When we can name an emotion without judgment... The research shows that that emotion can dissipate within 30 seconds or less. Hmm. So if it's a positive emotion, let's say that we, we don't want to, you know, run away from being happy or joyful or yeah, want to embrace that feeling pleasure or something. But if it's a negative emotion, if we can name it and say, right now, I'm feeling really anxious hmm. and I can name that and not judge it. Not only will it dissipate as opposed to it spinning up into other emotions because we're having feelings about our feelings. But we can also get curious around it. Okay, I'm feeling anxious. What am I feeling anxious about? What is causing my anxiety? What was the stimulus or the trigger that caused this anxiety? Where else have I felt this anxiety? What, what's happening within the circumstance that might be influencing this? And then we can get to a place of what do I want to do about that? And that anxiety, in this example, the common situations, it speaks to some unmet need. I'm feeling anxiety about this project because I don't have all the information that I need in order to complete the project on time. So now I have information, which is I don't have enough information about this project. So what can I do? I can go back to the certain stakeholders and I can ask more questions and that will alleviate my anxiety. It will have my need for more information met and it will help set me up for success. But if I just spin and being anxious and not get to the root cause of it, the unmet need and what my next step is, then I'm in a spiral of rumination. And that's where we get into really creative storytelling in our minds about how we're a failure and we're going to screw up or people are thinking this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really like looking at the root, right? Because a lot of times people face a lot of stress and the root of stress is fear, right? You're afraid that you're going to fail. You're going to be judged. Same for anxiety, right? And what is the root of that? And, and what would alleviate it, right? Like you said, like if I got this information and we finished this project or X, Y, Z, I got help, whatever, maybe there is a solution there. So really being aware of it. I remember when we had our talent development think tank retreat back in January, you took us through an exercise 
with handouts and everything, you know, people love handouts, you know, acknowledging, like looking at the different emotions that we face sometimes and acknowledging those. I'm also a big fan of taking personal responsibility for our emotions too and saying like, okay, it's a natural phenomenon. Of course I'm experiencing this, but like, why is this happening? And is it even my choice that I am bringing, taking this on? You know, I think for anger, a lot of times people are angry. Oh, that person did this to me, but it's really your choice to be angry about that. Like you don't have to be, you, it's your judgment of the situation. Now I really piss my kids off. I, I, I frustrate my kids because I'm so into this. they will be like, daddy, you made me angry. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't make you anything. You decided to be angry. That just, they just get even more angry when I say that. Yeah, my son does the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just kids as adults. We do this too. And yeah. it's, it's very common. Yeah. But when we can look at something with curiosity and not judgment, mm-hmm. We objectify the feeling to the degree to say, okay, like I'm not this feeling. I'm just having this right now. What do I want to do with it? Right. And that is a very powerful place to be. And it happens in moments. So this isn't something that you need to block 10 minutes a day to do kind of a emotional inventory Mm -hmm. in a moment that, that an emotion is strong, get curious. What is this emotion about? And what do I want? What do I want to do with this? What is it trying to tell me? And what do I want to do with this? Yeah. Well, if you think about public speaking, you do a lot of keynotes, you may have anxiety before you go on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You're about to be on stage. It's a a very important situation. You want to perform at your best. All rational reasons to feel anxiety. And it's probably a form of you stress that is actually positive and gives you energy and enthusiasm for what you're doing. Right. So it helps you understand to contextualize it. Like this is actually a good form of anxiety. I can keep it in control, but it's going to benefit me. Yep. Or is it the type of anxiety that is riddling me with fear and now I've, I'm paralyzed and I don't even know what steps to take? Different. Yeah. And that's where you get like, they say that public speaking is like one of the top two fears up there with death, right? Like most people would don't want to go anywhere near a stage. And it's it's because of that extreme anxiety and the fear that I would get up there and everybody's going to boo me or you know judge me, reject me, et cetera. I love the stage, but I still get nervous every time, right? Because like you said, because I care, I want it to go really well. Anything could happen, right? And so there's the nerves, but I can turn those into energy. It doesn't deter me from doing it. We get to work through our fears and our anxieties sometimes. That's just something that we get to do as if we are ambitious people. I want to get to the third thing before we run out of time here, which is self-kindness. We can check in with ourselves and ask what we need in this moment. And what I heard you saying is that we love helping others. We are very generally, uh, there are some people out there that are not so compassionate, right? But generally, most nice people in my network are compassionate towards others. If you see some one of your friends make a mistake or fall down, either you know, literally or metaphorically, or having some a hard day or emotions, you want to comfort them. You want to console them. And oftentimes what I'm hearing from you is for a lot of people, especially these leaders, executives, they're experiencing trouble and challenges and thinking, I just need to work through this and almost judging themselves for getting down, for having a hard day and not really showing themselves any self-compassion, which is sort of like the foundation of everything that you're you're talking to people about now. Yeah. I mean, self-kindness could be something as simple as a recognition that you've been in meetings all day and you haven't eaten anything. So at the beginning of the next meeting, you're going to say, can you give me five minutes and go get yourself a snack? I mean, it's a small thing. Or or you realize you have a meeting with somebody and it doesn't need to be on video. And you say, hey, can we make this a walking meeting? I need to get some fresh air. Hmm. 
So it's not about obfuscating your responsibilities or giving yourself a pass, but recognizing like, what are things that I can do that are kind to myself to make sure that I'm able to bring my best and that needing kindness is not a sign of weakness. Again, we would do it for others without question. And yet the thought that maybe we need a break or fresh air or a glass of water or some kind words for ourselves after a, a really difficult meeting that didn't go well or hearing some difficult feedback, why are we any different than anybody else? And there's this dichotomy that exists that we view ourselves differently than everyone else, even though we are all the same. Mm. At the core, we all want the same things, which is to be seen, heard, and appreciated. And if we're not getting it from other people, then we need to be able to get it from ourselves. And that's what self-compassion and self-kindness is all about. So, so important. I cannot wait for you to get this more out into the world to help more leaders and people. So I know you've been working on a book. When is this book coming out? I mean, you know, traditionally we we do this maybe around the time it is, but I, I was eager to get you on here. So when can we expect this book out into the world? The timing right now looks like spring of, of 2023. And it's my first book. And what I did is I ended up writing too much and it looks like I wrote two books. So mm. it's longer than originally planned. But 2023, the book is about the principles of self-compassion, how to apply those to yourself as a leader and how to bring those to your teams and organizations. Because from a place of self-compassion, we have the resilience and strength to be compassionate towards others. I love that. And I'm glad you're taking the time to cut it down. You know, Mark Twain supposedly said, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. And it's always a reminder that, you know, we write and know more than we think we do. But if we want to make it really useful for our readers, then we want to try to cut that down. I had to do the same thing with my book. One of my chapters was so long. My wife read it and was like, this is a whole book. You need to take this out. And so it was painful, but we did it. And I think it made the book better. And now I've got another book in the future, right? Just taking that. So Moss, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm on LinkedIn, Massimo Bacchus or MassimoBacchus.com. And Andy, thank you. Always a pleasure. And the what you represent in the community of leadership and talent development is second to none. And I'm grateful for you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I will talk with you again soon. All right. All right. That will do it for my conversation with Massimo Bacchus on compassionate leadership. I hope you got a lot of value from that conversation. I definitely enjoyed it. As I mentioned, this was Massimo's really third time on the podcast. If you didn't listen to the first episode that we did together, episode 70, back in February of 2019, and I had him back on for episode 197, which came out in November of 2020, where we flipped the tables and he interviewed me about my book, which came out at the time in November 2020. And of course, we did this interview today about compassionate leadership. I hope you resonated with some of the stuff he talked about. I'd love to know what you think. Uh, certainly reach out and connect with Massimo and let him know what you think. And as I mentioned earlier, Moss is a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. He's been a member since uh, nearly the beginning when we started it back in the summer of 2020. He's contributed a lot of value, someone that a lot of people look up to and really admire and love connecting with. And in fact, we had a Think Tank call earlier today before I was recording this and he was on there. We were running a session on personal brand and I know we're going to have Moss lead a session in the future on passionate leadership. So come check us out. If you're interested in joining, you haven't joined yet. Our website is tdtt.us as in talent development think tank, 
tdtt.us. And we also have a conference coming up soon. It's going to be happening in February of 2023 called the Talent Development Think Tank, February 2023 in Sonoma, California. As I record this, we are just working out the final details, but it will be February 2023 in Sonoma, California. And all the information will be on the same website, tdtt.us. So go check that out. This episode is also brought to you by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. And you can learn more and get access to tons of great free content by going to their website, advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again in a couple days as I'll be releasing my part two of this conversation with Massimo, our bonus Q&A session where I talk to him about his career and some of the challenges and trends that we're seeing out there in the talent development world. Talk to you then. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.